Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Uh, welcome to the broadcast and thank you for coming along. I'm joined as always by Linda Gasparello, co-host of this program and its producer. Inflation is on every lip. It is the great fear uh, of business and the fear of politicians because they tend to lose their jobs when there's a lot of inflation. In 1974, something like 23 heads of state lost their jobs because of inflation following the oil embargo. Today, we've got maybe the world's best informed man on inflation and business. He is Steve Odland, uh, president and CEO of the Conference Board. He is the former chairman and CEO of Office Depot and AutoZone. Steve, welcome to the broadcast and tell us initially, what is the Conference Board? Yes, thank you, Llewellyn. It's great to be here and Linda. You know, the conference board's been around for 105 years. We are a global think tank that provides trusted insights for what's ahead. We have uh, member companies of the largest firms all over the world, offices and economists and experts all over the world who study uh, all these elements of uh, inflation and the economies uh, we do uh, forecasting and so forth. So we're a great resource for, uh, for business people and for the government. And uh, how do you make yourself known? What do you do if I say we're a large corporation and a member of a conference board? How would I avail myself of your expertise? Yeah, so um, you know, our, our uh, members join the conference board and they engage with us in a variety of different ways. We have multiple centers, including the Economic Center, the Human Capital Center, uh, our ESG Center, uh, our public policy center and marketing communications. And then we have our China center, our Gulf center uh, in, the, uh, in the Persian Gulf. And then we of course have uh, all of that around the world. So uh, lots of different ways that, that, uh, that people engage. You probably know us most for our economic indicators, the, the leading economic indicators, the consumer confidence index, the EO confidence index, and you know, all of those gauges that we uh, deploy around the world. And uh, um, do the companies come to you or do you go to them? Do you say, we see this trend, you should be aware of it. This is danger here or more importantly, there's opportunity here. Yeah, no, it's a good question. We do basic research, which we then share with our members, but we also engage in a variety of councils, which are peer-to-peer -peer, uh, groups that uh, have CEOs, CFOs, CHROs, so uh, members of the C-suite who get together and discuss these issues with us in a, in a moderated forum. And we are able to take those insights directly from our member companies and from the C-suites themselves and engage that back uh, into our research. So uh, we're real time in, in all of this information. How do you uh, separate yourself from say the Chamber of Commerce? Well, some of the other organizations in Washington are lobbying organizations, and uh, we are not. Uh, we are a 501c3. We are uh, entirely nonpartisan. We try to come at things uh, without a political view. We come at things from a policy perspective, and uh, that's tough to do these days when the country and virtually every sector is highly partisan, but, uh, but that is, is a key Contribute contribution that we make, and that's one of the value. Uh, one of the things that our members value about us, they know that we are uh, objective, and you know we provide 
our insights as we see them? Inflation. It's the big thing of the moment. That plus, of course, whatever Putin is doing. Uh, but why do we have so much inflation? I just read that uh, the wholesale price index is very close to 10% inflation. That is huge. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, as, as you remember, this is the, uh, the largest or the highest level of inflation that we've had since the late 70s and the early 80s, which was obviously much worse uh, in that period of time. But this is, this is worrisome, Llewellyn. Uh, our business CEOs, our member CEOs are, are very concerned about it. You know, this was, we did not have this uh, issue pre-pandemic. And I think it's important to, to understand that every one of these situations, uh, economic situations is different. Uh, and in this case, you know, we shut down the economy. The governments around the world shut down the economy, um, cloistered people, uh, stopped uh, work from going on. And, you know, it's, that's not a criticism and shouldn't be, shouldn't be heard in any way except to say that, we did, that it happened. And as a result, it's, it, everybody canceled orders up through the supply chains. People stopped buying things. Uh, people were laid off. It was a very frightening period of time. I mean, everybody remembers this because it was only a couple of years ago. But you know, it's a little like when you when you go away on vacation, and uh, you know whether you have a house or an apartment, you shut off the water, you shut off the hot water heater, you shut off the electricity, everything's shut down. And then when you return, you turn everything back on. But you know, it takes a while. You know, all every all the clocks are beeping when the electricity comes back on. You know, things don't flow. Well, you have air in the system, uh, in, in the water, you don't get hot water right away. And that's a little bit like our supply chain. So as we now are turning things back on, we are having to uh, you know, re-engage the supplies up all the way through. That is creating shortages. And you know, it's the ultimate economics 101, demand, supply, and price. And so demand is still high. Uh, people are still buying. It was not an economic crisis. Uh, there was a lot of government money contributed to the economy, over $6 trillion that was, that was contributed. So the money was there. The Fed interest rates were very low. It was easy to borrow. They were buying on their balance sheet. So lots of money, lots of demand, but not so much supply. And that, of course, then bids up prices. So a lot of it's that. Second thing is energy policy. And you know we have a policy where we're trying to get to a um, a low to no carbon uh, situation. We're trying to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels, and that policy was put into place, you know, while we're also trying to wrestle with the pandemic. So energy prices, there's a scarcity of energy. Obviously, what's going on in Russia and, and Ukraine is contributing to it, but, you know, energy, uh, the, the price of a barrel of oil has gone from, you know, between, you know, fluctuation between $40 and $60 a barrel to now over $90 a barrel. So about a 50% increase. That's contributing to it. And then finally, wages. You know, we're in the er phases of the early phases of a wage price spiral. Some of those are very serious, um, you know, in economic terms. We don't think it's going to get that bad, but we still have wages going up you know, as the, the labor shortage uh, still confronts us. Three million people still out of the economy from pre-pandemic, baby boomers retiring. So we have a scarcity of supply of labor. And so uh, the bidding for that goes up in the form of wages. So all of these things are contributing, Llewellyn, to uh, escalating inflation levels. Linda. Jack Bearing, uh, the two inflationary, big inflationary times that I can remember very well 
One of them came along in 1973 with the Arab oil embargo. In 1979, we had the Iranian revolution led to high inflationary times again. And what changed inflation during those times? What was it that finally tamed inflation? And it was tamed. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 and I remember it well, you know, back uh, in, in the early 80s, you know, we remember we had Jerry Ford's whip inflation now, the wind buttons, you know, that, uh, that everybody wore. But ultimately, it, it came down to interest rates. And uh, Paul Volcker, uh, the head of the Fed at that point in time, the chairman of the Fed, uh, became very aggressive. Remember when interest rates hit, uh, you know, 18 to 20 percent, mortgage rates uh, were, were such that, uh, you know, it was said that baby boomers would never own homes because the mortgage rates were so high. Of course, that helped us, you know, stem inflation and it got things back to normal. Inflation rates came back down. And and you know that's what happens. That's the situation we face today. It's not nearly as serious as either of those crises, but inflation is sitting here at a 40-year high, and it needs to be tamed. We do think that we may be at the peak right now. The month-to-month -month inflation levels are not increasing. And in fact, if you look at when it started going up, it was around February of 2021, about a year ago. And so as we, as we go into March and April, we should see the rate of inflation month to month come down and uh, ameliorate over the course of the year. So we think we're kind of there, but the Fed is poised to act. Um, and you, know, you see the, the stock market reacting in the past couple of weeks as uh, the Fed and you know, Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed is, is advocating for a 100 basis point move here at the end of March, um, you know, very aggressive moves, which is why the market reacted um, you know, to, to those comments, but it's clear that the Fed is going to move, you know, whether it's 100 or 150 basis points uh, over the next year, 200 probably in total, uh, it, you know, the time period of the next year and a half will, uh, will uh, you know, help to stem uh, this situation, as well as the normalization of the supply through the supply chain as the pandemic uh, recedes. Linda? Steve, President Biden was an, a new president. And when you get a new president, you often get the Fed moves a little bit slower. They give the president a little leeway. Do you think that they should have moved a little quicker uh, to tame this inflation that we have now? All this, you know, we're there. Yeah, it's hard to say that, uh, Linda. I mean, sitting where we are now, yes, you know, perhaps they should have started moving this six months ago. It wasn't clear six months ago. Because there was a view that a lot of this was transitory, and that was the term that they used uh, both in the administration as well as, as in the Fed. And th that means that it, they thought some of these moves were temporary and that, that you know, it would resolve itself. And clearly some of these, some of these issues are. You know, we have a chip shortage. Why? Well, we shut down all the orders for chips, and you can't just turn those factories back on. Secondly, there was a fire in a, a Japanese chip factory that accounts for a third of all the chips that go into cars in the world. Fourth, there was a drought in Taiwan, which and Taiwan accounts for uh, about 60 to 65% of all the chips in the world. And it takes a lot of water. So there were some other issues going on here. There's a chip shortage that created the car shortage. You can't you know, run a car these days uh, without these chips. So a lot of these things look to be transitory. They're taking longer to work their way through. There are, there are some systemic issues with food and so forth. So 
you know, the biggest issue that's that's going to be stubborn is is energy. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't think we can criticize the Fed, but they're reacting now, and they're seeing that this is not transitory. That this is a little more stubborn, and they need to they need to act. And I think we're going to see them act here in March. Well, there's a fair chance, isn't there, that energy will come down as it has in the past. And when it's come down, usually it's been rather swift. Uh, the decline has been quite amazingly fast, as I recall. Uh, often uh, the deflationary effect of that has not been necessarily constructive. I remember when all the banks in the Southwest failed as a consequence of a collapsing energy price. Uh, but we've got a different economy now, don't we? It's not just formal banks. It's not just the known financial institutions. We have a new world of unregulated finance and chips and uh, I think one not so much in chips and cryptocurrencies. Also the speed with which money moves has sped up uh, what is called FinTech, financial technology enables money to spin around the world uh, instantly. Uh, does that change things? Does the fast money run away? Where does it hide itself when it runs away? Yeah, Llewellyn, I think all of that is 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 valid, and, uh, and, and which makes it different. And the, no two of these situations are the same. And, and unfortunately, we're always trying to solve the the last one rather than trying to solve the next one. And so your point is correct that we have a different situation. I think the critical issue from an energy perspective is policy, government policy. And I'm not criticizing government policy because clearly we have a carbon situation. But um, we shut down. You know, we were pretty much energy independent as a country. And we shut down a lot of supply, stopped drilling in Anwar. We cut back on, uh, you know, a lot of the fracking activities, uh, the pipeline activities. This is, you know, this this was a change in policy, rightly or wrongly, but in an in an attempt to uh, to accelerate, uh, you know, uh, the move here and 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 to to clean clean up the carbon. But it has ex created a shortage. At the same time, when you have uh, a shortage coming from other areas of the world, and you've got geopolitical issues, um, as we pointed out. You know, a lot of the supply for um, carbon-based energy in Europe is coming from Russia. You know, this situation is 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 very tedious, and so the price of oil has come up. It doesn't just impact uh, automobiles because you know, obviously, gas prices have skyrocketed here, but it also impacts a lot of other things, including agriculture, where um, you have fertilizer and, and other products that are uh, oil derivatives. And so that's created a higher price there. Packaging materials, uh, all plastics are uh, oil-based. And so uh, the derivative products have also skyrocketed in price as a result of this. And so you see this rippling throughout the supply chain. So the question is, and, and now you see the administration saying, okay, everybody, please increase your supply. And you know, the other parts of the world have said, uh, well, no, thank you. Uh, we're, you know, we're not going to do that. So I think we have to come back and examine our own situation and the timing of our, uh, of our moves to, you know, to a more sustainable energy future. Uh, Linda, you were about to ask Steve a question. I was. Steve, Welling had mentioned earlier that uh, inflation has been a very meddlesome problem for presidents. Um, Gerald Ford lost his job partly because of his inflationary his inflation policy. Jimmy Carter also lost his job because of his the way he dealt with inflation. So 
many Americans would like their president to deal with this. What are the levers for the American president? What can an American president do? What is in his control? Yeah, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about energy policy, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, if I was uh, in charge of energy policy, I would say, look, our, our long-term objective hasn't changed. We need to get to a post-carbon future. Um, we need to get to renewables. But in the short run here, we have a, a bit of a crisis, and we need to increase supply in order to normalize pricing and, you know, plan this uh, a little bit better. You know, the second thing is that uh, we've had a lot of government stimulus and a lot of government spending, which has put, um, you know, an incredible amount of money out there. You know, we want safety nets. You know, we're a very generous and compassionate society. We don't want people uh, going without. But at the same time, we don't want to incent people not to work. And we have a labor shortage. So I think we need to normalize the, uh, the safety net programs in order to make sure that people are incented to work. Uh, there's a huge labor supply here, and, and that needs to, to be dealt with. The, the other piece of the labor supply is immigration. You know, our, our legal immigration system is broken. We are not providing enough uh, H-1B visas to either the students who are graduating from other countries so that they can remain here, but also for businesses. And uh, the CEOs uh, around the country are screaming about this, uh, so we need, we need to address that situation. Um, and, and then finally, the Fed, uh, which is independent from the government, but, but the Fed obviously needs to act here and, uh, you know, get off of QE, uh, the quantitative easing. Uh, the balance sheet uh, uh, purchases, of course, are going to be uh, wound down. Um, they've announced that. But then also we need to take action here on interest rates. Now, the question is, how fast on all this and where are the inflection points? Because these things take a while particularly the energy situation. And so, you know, there's also this risk of overreacting, taking too much action too fast. And then, you know, it takes 12 months to, to really work its way through. And then it's an oops, and then we create a recession. So nobody wants that either. And so we really have to, you know, let a, a lot of these supply chain issues come through, but while at the same time, you know, carefully moving our way through these policy issues. Uh, we have been told over the decades that, <clears throat> excuse me, as Americans, we don't save enough. Now we're being told we saved so much during the pandemic, now we're spending it too quickly and we're contributing to inflation. Uh, what, what, is a, what is one to do? Well, there's a lot of money out there. Um, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, we shut it down and, and people were laid off. There was a concern, you know, that there wouldn't be enough um, disposable income or income to for people to survive, pay their rent, pay their mortgages, and and eat. You know, pretty basic stuff on Maslow's hierarchy. And so we took action uh, as a country. Um, we probably went too far with that. In retrospect, we didn't know it at the time. So I'm not again. I'm not criticizing. But but when you analyze these things, you you know you have to think through. I think we went a little bit too far. Uh, you know, with with the amount of money. Uh, so, you know, that needs to, to dial back. I, I think, uh, Llewellyn, that uh, as the supply chains normalize, the, uh, the quantities will come back, um, you know, as the uh, manufacturing facilities in China, uh, you know, normalize and, and they stop shutting them down, that'll come back. As the crops come back and as the, uh, you know, the various sources of protein, animal protein, uh, the next generations come through, 
demand ought to be normalized, I think, you know, within the year. And so we ought to see inflation um, be impacted positively by that normalization of, of supply and then, you know, and hence demand. Uh, the chip thing is a little bit uh, scary still. We, you know, companies are trying to uh, build facilities. Those take a, a long time to build, but they're trying to reshore our, um, you know, our, our chip facilities, which is important for uh, national defense, um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, all of these supply issues. I do think as a country, we are going to have to evaluate where our manufacturing is. We're far too dependent on sources that are around the world. And so when you have shocks like this in the supply chain with very long distances, it's hard. I think we need to think about moving it into this hemisphere. Uh, but that, those are long-term decisions which will take some time to work its way through. Linda? Uh, Steve, I'd just like to touch on what you had said about the chips and about bringing chips back to the United States. I know that Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has been really working on this and getting these chip factories relocated to the United States. Anyway, to get back to something you had mentioned, um, wages, um, the, the possibility that we're going to get into this wage and price spiral, what keeps your members up? I would imagine that more than interest rates, it really probably is the wage and price spiral. It is wages and it is the source, it, it, it is uh, labor supply, Linda. I think that, uh, you know, our view is and our, and our CEO's views are that, uh, that we're in a new world permanently. In other words, that the, the return to the office as it was before is, is not going to happen. That in fact, we're going to be either in a, uh, a hybrid world where it's partially um, you know, in a workplace and partially remote to fully remote, you know, and there's, there are estimates that up to 20, 25% of the workforce will be fully remote. When, so I think that these companies need to take different strategies here, you know, it, it going everything from culture, how do you maintain a corporate culture when you don't have people in the same place? You have to, you have to dial, ring them up and, and, uh, you know, and, and impose. You have companies that have, some companies that have hired 25 to 35% of their workforce without ever physically meeting them. Uh, it's all, it's a two-dimensional situation. So all of these practices need to be revisited. We need to get better uh, at all of this. We need to, to think through how do we instill culture, which impacts, you know, not just this, the soft stuff, but which, which is important, but also innovation and all of the casual interactions that happen in a work setting. That has to be formalized uh, and, and brought through. And then, you know, we need to disperse our, our workforce and go to supplies, pockets of supply around the country where there, where there are people rather than strictly in the urban areas or in the, in the office settings. Um, and then finally, automation. I, you know, you, we're going to see a, a surge in automation, not only in the manufacturing world, but also I think, you know, we've seen digital transformation, about a decade's worth of digital transformation in the past two years. That should contribute to productivity. And if, and if you remember your history, GDP throughout the 90s was, you know, and for about a 20-year period, was impacted positively by gains in productivity by, to the tune of about 100 basis points a year. And that has not happened now over the past decade. So hopefully we'll see those kinds of gains as well. Steve, there were some good collateral effects 
to the last high inflationary times. One of the things that happened was that we saw that higher prices led to the creation of generic brands. Uh, dollar stores came up, you know, Walmart proliferated. You know, if there's going to be a Newton's third law to this high inflationary time that we've got now, high, not as high as then, but, but to a high inflationary time, what do you see might be the Newton's third law? What good things could come out of this? Well, you know, I, I, having run three retail companies, um, I, I see a permanent shift from bricks and mortar, not 100%, but to virtual. And that makes uh, the supply chain uh, a completely different in the future. You don't have to stock warehouses all over the country. You can have uh, you know, less goods, you can have just in time, but, but delivered, you know, through that last mile facilitated, you know, by, by the carriers. So I, I think you're going to, you're going to have a completely different situation with less labor. I think you're going to have automation through the warehouses to facilitate that. And, and you just have to look at Amazon robotics and, um, you know, tour those facilities to see these little rob robots running around and, and picking the goods for, uh, for shipment. It's just a, a, a remarkable thing. So I think a lot of automation and the productivity that I talk about. I think that the pandemic itself has awakened us to the need for healthcare progress. And it's not that we were deaf to it. You know, we, we passed the PPACA, the Affordable Care Act, and from a coverage standpoint, but I think in terms of uh, wellness care, I think in terms of coverage, I think in terms of, you know, how we uh, how we deal with with each other, uh, all of that will have a lasting, you know, effect. You, you know, the question is, you know, the, people use this term permanent, which I, I think nothing in life is, and, and you know, throughout the, in a, an economic um, situation is permanent, but but it will have lasting change. So I think that's that's another good thing because I think you know a focus on wellness uh, is obviously very positive. I think I think actually uh, virtual work will will be a positive. Why? Because people can, you know, have a better balance of work life and home life. I think that it's less uh, impactful on the environment. You know, if you're not driving and commuting as much, um, so th there are a lot of positives that that can come from this thing. Um, we have to be careful about inflation. I think that the two percent goal that the Fed has had for a very long period of time is probably uh, the right place to be. It, 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 uh, you know, it normalizes things. One thing we're going to have to be careful of, and we're seeing though, Linda, is the the level of debt. You know, it, at it, it, around the year 2000, we had about nine trillion in debt in this country. We're now 33 plus trillion uh, in debt, and with unfunded liabilities, it's two or three times that. At some point, it is going to create a, a, a dollar a currency crisis, um, and we won't be able to react to these kinds of of things, whether it's some geopolitical crisis or some other. Uh, crisis in the country because we won't have the facility to do it. So inflation, um, it, you know, is not good for that. That uh, Steve, that. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot inflate the time, and we're out of time. Uh, but we do hope you'll come back and pursue some of these other fascinating subjects that have arisen in the course of our discussion on inflation. Thank you so much for being with us. That's our show for today. Watch that, uh, how you spend your money. And if you want a new job, it's an awfully good time to go and get one. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.